with all the staff and all gone, y'all got stuck with me. Tonight I'm talking about 1 John 5, 1 through 12. This is a, a pastoral letter to the church, the churches in conflict. It was written to address the conflict and, and to prevent its spread. A number of scholars think of this as a sermon in written form. The problems in the churches were caused by false teachers who had left the church. These false teachers were haughty and unloving. They denied the incarnation and the deity of Jesus and claimed not to be sinners. They may have been per, uh, precursors of the Gnostic heretics who plagued the second century church. These false teachers remained influential in the time, the time that, first, that John wrote. The danger was that they would persuade new believers to accept their heretical teachings. Now, questions that will be answered in this passage are, do you have the Son? He who has the Son has life. What does that mean to have the Son? And how do we know if it's true of us? The first thing is we need to believe that He is Christ, the Christ. Once again, beliefs matter. We cannot make God or His Son into whoever we want them to be. There is one God and He has one Son. How do we know if it's true of us <clears throat> that we have His Son? We cannot make God or His Son into whoever we want them to be. There's one God and one Son. We wouldn't do that with any other relationship. We wouldn't try to say that you're not father and son. But a lot of people try to separate God and Jesus. But it's more than accepting the truth intellectually. Verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, it says. In these words, John directly refutes the false teachers who, because of their dualism, saying the spirit is good and the uh, material is bad, cannot accept the deity of Jesus, cannot accept the man, the human being, cannot accept that he is God and man. They cannot accept that, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the spiritual entity. They cannot accept that Jesus, the man, was born of God. The false teachers tried to divide Jesus from the Christ. In their opinion, Christ was God, but Jesus was only a man. They taught that God could not die. Therefore, the Christ did not die. Those who think of this are not born of God. To be born of God, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ. We must believe that He came to earth. He was both God and man. We must believe that Jesus was the Christ died for us. But death was not the end. If it was, we would be without hope in the grave when we die. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to life, and because He lives, 
we will live also. He had achieved what he came to do. He rose from the dead to prove it. The cross was the, the payment. The resurrection was the receipt of what he did. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is more than just to agree with the mind. We must trust in him. We must accept what he has done for us. As we trust in him, he will change us. God gives us new life. And this new birth, when we are born of God, we must trust in that. You must, just like if you were fixing to get on an airplane, you must trust in that airplane that it can do what it's supposed to do and take you up into the air and take you to another place. I once heard of a man that was really afraid of flying and, and somebody said, don't you know that when your time's up, your time's up no matter where you are? And he said, yeah, but I'm afraid it'll be the pilot's time <laughs> when we get up there. But we must have faith that even if the pilot goes, there's a co-pilot that knows how to fly that flight. All of our faith boils down to what we do with the sun. That is the important issue. And John isn't trying so much to demonstrate here how a person experiences this new birth as he is working to indicate that there should be the evidence of it uh, that it has taken place. Simply put, being obedient to the Father and the Son through faith and love leads to right living. The second part of that verse says, whoever loves the father also loves the child who is born of him. There are two different words in the Greek for giving birth, by the mother and begetting by the father. Tiktu is the word for giving birth by the mother. Geneu is the word for begetting by the father. We could translate this as whoever loves the father also loves a child who is begotten or sired by the Heavenly Father. If we love the parents, we will love the children. If we love our own parents, we also love our brothers and sisters. A child will usually love his own, uh, love his own father. And because of this, the child also will love his brothers and sisters. If we are born of God, then God is our Father. If we love the Father, therefore, we love God and should also love His children. All Christians are the children of God. It doesn't matter what label they have. And let me tell you, when you get to heaven, just because you've got a Baptist label is not going to mean anything. Labels do not mean anything. All children, Christians are children of God. Without a doubt, no other book of the Bible highlights love as much and as often as 1 John. It's a book of love. Apparently, one in, uh, approximately every 50 words mentions love. That is, 50 or so mentions of love in its five brief chapters. 
That shouldn't surprise us, since he teaches us and reminds us of two critical love-specific biblical principles. Love is a proof of salvation, and in 3.14, in 314 and God himself is love, in 4.8. With love being the key element of this epistle, John makes five mentions of it in chapter, the, chapter five's three opening verses. If we love him, we must obey his command. We don't earn salvation by obedience. We show our gratitude and love by obedience. C.S. Lewis said, the Christian does not <clears throat> believe God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. The commands are not burdensome. burdensome. These aren't tests, and they aren't arbitrary. By faith, we come to learn that all of his commandments are ultimately for our own good. Just as our Father tells us not to drive fast on a rain-slick highway, that's not to, to prevent us from doing something, it's, it's to, to keep us safe. And that's what God's commandments are for. Not to punish us, not to oppress us, but to protect us. Verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God, and we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We can know that, that we love God's children, <clears throat> and we do so when we obey God. God has given, us this, com given them this command to us. We must love both Him and His children. If we love God, then we must love other Christians as well, not only with different tags, but with different nationalities and different backgrounds all around the world. We, we love those Christians in, in Israel and those Christians in Palestine, and we, and we pray for both of them. It is not possible really to love his children if we do not love God. Just as much as our love for the people of God reflects our love for God, as expressed in 1 John 3.10, so our, our love and obedience to God is a demonstration of the love to the body of Christ. Love for God is this, that we obey His commands. We show love to our parents by, by obeying their commands. We show our love to God by obeying His commands. We do so when we obey God. God has given, us this, given this command to us. We must love both Him and His children. <clears throat> if we do not love God, we can't love really His children. Just as much as our love for the people of God reflects our, lo our, our love for God, 
So we love and, and are obedient to God in the demonstration of love to the body of Christ. Love for God is this, that we obey His commands. This is how we express our love for God. If we love God, we will obey His commandments. This is the essential result of our love for God. When we love God and keep His commandments, a Christian who does not love God or keep His commandments is of little effective use in the body of Christ. This is true even though he or she might be involved in much ministry and hold an official position of service in the church. When our love and obedience for God grows cold, we do not only harm ourselves, we harm our brothers and sisters also. The damage is done, at the very least because we are a drag on the spiritual progress of God's people. If we will not love and obey God for our own sake, then we should at least do it out of love for others. His commands are not too difficult for us. They're not too hard because God makes us able to do them. He does not give us something that we, with Him, as our aid, cannot do. We love Him, so we desire to do them. The Christian likes to do whatever God wants. Then how do we come to questions like, why does God give me more than I can handle? Or, if His commands are easy, why do I struggle so mightily to do what is right? The answer is that His power is made evident in our weakness. When we are weak, He is strong. His perfection shines in our brokenness. They are not burdensome because His yoke is light, because He helps us carry that uh, yoke. These commands are not just meaningless laws. They are designed to show us the heart of God while drawing others to it. Because of the new birth highlighted in verse 1, believers receive supernatural power to accomplish these commands. Do you realize the power that it took to raise Christ from the dead is available to you? That same power. This is how love overcomes through obedience. We can obey God because we have overcome the world. We trust in Jesus. This gives us success in the struggle. We overcome because we are born of God. Because, because of the birth from God, we overcome the world. The new birth is the event that frees us from the world. This new birth takes us away from the rule of the devil. And the new birth makes us children of God. Satan has no more power over us than we allow him to have. And with God, we can overcome anything Satan can throw at us. The world means that it's all that that opposes God. As Jeff says, there's two uses of the world. The world meaning the physical globe and the world meaning the, the atmosphere and the world. <clears throat> we may be 
persecuted uh, as Christians, or the world would try to tempt Christians to do wrong things. Many things try to destroy their trust in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in all these things, God gives the strength to overcome. If we trust in Him and allow Him to take control of our life and we lead it in accordance with His will. It is our faith that wins. Faith is our trust in Christ and what we believe. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. And we believe that He is the Son of God. We trust Him to save us and to keep us from all evil. We expect Him to do all that God has promised that He would do. This belief and trust leads to the defeat of the world. By our faith, we overcome the world. Only those people who trust in Christ overcome the world. To win in this fight, we have to believe in Jesus Christ. Hamas and all the other forces think that they can, can rule the world, but they can't. Because God is controlled, and if they don't have God in their hearts and in their lives, they cannot overcome the world. We win in this fight, we have to believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that He is the Son of God. He is God, and He became a man. As God and man, to overcome the world, nobody else can give us the power to win in this struggle. Nobody else can give us the power to overcome the world other than Jesus Christ. We trust in Jesus, then we share in what He has done, and so He makes us to overcome. We know that we will win because we have the testimony in our heart. The testimony of water, the baptism of Jesus, at which God revealed who Jesus uh, uh, was. We have the blood, His crucifixion. We have the Spirit, the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit which tells us who He is and how to know Him. Verses 6 through 12 say, This is He that overcomes by water and by blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe that God has made uh, believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God did not, does not have life. Verse 6 marks a shift in the text. 
We see the world testify or testimony nine times in this section. The theme of verses 6 through 12 is tied together by the idea of testimony. Here John is reinforcing the validity of the one we are called to believe in. He demonstrates here that there is overwhelming evidence and support that Jesus is the Son of God who provides eternal life to all that believe in him. The water and the blood refer, as I said, to the baptism and the death of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, came by the water of baptism. That is, he went through baptism to start his work. Not that he became God at baptism, but he went through the waters of baptism to begin his work. Jesus, the Son of God, came by the blood of his death. That is, he finished his work here on earth by his death. He went through death and rose again from the dead. Jesus did not come by water alone. That is, by baptism. But he came by water and blood, Scripture says. This shows that Jesus Christ actually died. Jesus and Christ are one person. The false teachers and, uh, said that Christ left Jesus before his death. They thought that the, the Christ as God could not die. But Jesus Christ is both God and man, and he died for us. Jesus Christ, his divine title, cannot only, came not only through baptism, as the heretics would acknowledge, but also through blood, his crucifixion, which the heretics would not acknowledge. The Spirit of God adds to the evidence of the water and the blood. He shows the truth of those who believe. He tells us that Jesus is the Christ in both his baptism and, and his death. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Spirit of God reminds us about how Jesus lived and tells us what Jesus did. We can trust all that the Spirit of God shows us. He is the truth. He is the origin of truth. His nature is truth. He always speaks what is true. He never says anything that is false. While water and blood both represent external objective witnesses to the divinity of Christ, the Holy Spirit is the subjective internal witness to his divinity. And when a person accepts the, the, the baptism and the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, then that Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. When it comes to evaluating testimony, Jewish jurisprudence required the presence of two or three witnesses to establish the fact in court. That is why John's argument about the adequacy of the witness of Jesus' divinity is compelling, since God confirmed it with events as well as with his own voice. God's testimony is greater than the testimony of any man. Where John is leading us is to understand that the witness of two or three people is enough to establish a matter. In other words, that there is validity to this testimony. 
then how much greater should the testimony be considered of God as supplying all of the witnesses? A person or a child obeys what their teacher tells them to do or what a coach tells them to do because if they listen to the teacher, they'll learn things that will be helpful to them in their future life. If they listen to the coach, they learn how to better play the sport that they're involved in. If we want to obey them, how much more should we want to obey God? Who not only tells us about things temporal, but things eternal. Our belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, <clears throat> we believe that this is the truth. We know it in ourselves that it's true. God's Spirit is in us. He is the witness to us of the truth. We have the inner certainty that Jesus is the Son of God through the Holy Spirit that He gave to us. We believe what God has said about Him. We know that it is right to believe in Jesus. God has said that Jesus is the Christ. He also said that Jesus is the Son of God. Some people do not believe this. They deny that Jesus is the Son of God. They do not agree that He is the Christ. So they believe as if God tells lies. They act as if God's words are untrue, and they refuse to believe in God and in Christ. To re receive the Son is to receive the Father. To deny the Son is to deny the Father. Nobody can both accept God and deny his son. We affirm his testimony by being baptized, by taking communion, by studying his word. These things don't save us, but they enable us to identify publicly with him and to draw closer to him. I wear a wedding ring, and I'm not married because I wear the ring. I wear the ring because I'm married. There's a difference to that. And, and we're not Christians because we say we are. We, by, we, don't, we, we can't earn our salvation by works, but we, after we're saved, then we work. I've been married for 52 years and almost two months. And I've worn this ring for that length of time. And if I take it off, somebody can still tell I had a place where I wore a ring. And that's the way it should be in our Christianity. It should show forth to the world. We should wear it every day. We should put on the, the, the spiritual armor every day as we face Satan in the world. Why would we not want people to know that we are his? Why would we not show a life with him in control, with the Holy Spirit guiding us, and, and let them know we are his? It's all about Jesus. And living in Jesus is the evidence of eternal life. It's vain to ex expect eternal glory if we do not have Christ in our heart. Then dwelling Christ gives both a title to it and a readiness for it. This is God's record. Let no man deceive himself here. And in dwelling Christ and glory... 
no indwelling Christ, no glory. God's record must stand. Next week, I think Jeff will be back to finish the study of 1 John, the end of chapter 5. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to live the Christian life daily, to show the world that we believe in you and your resurrected son. And Lord, we be, pray that you'd be with those Christians in, in Israel and in Gaza, that you would let their light shine in this time of, of distress and, and persecution and, and that they might be witnesses to you of your goodness and your glory. And let us here be witnesses to that, to our neighbors, uh, to the people we come in contact with daily. Let us be the witnesses to, to who you are and who your son is, that others might come to him. It's in that precious sweet name of Jesus we pray. Amen.